Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Upgrade Podcast, a show where we speak about everything leverage credit and highlight the research of our ratings analysts. My name is Manesh Patel, the sector lead for leverage finance and the new host of the podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Steve Wilkinson, and the star of the show, Kenny Tang. So Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Manesh and Steve. Allow me to just introduce myself to your listeners. I am Kenny Tang, a director in S&P Global's Leverage Finance and Recovery Team. I've been at S&P for 14 years. Prior to S&P, I was a middle market portfolio manager and a loan workout manager at several financial institutions. So Kenny, you're here to talk about your current research project. So maybe you can give us a quick overview of what it's all about. Sure, Manesh. So we usually provide a regular update to our corporate debt recoveries anyways. But this time, we focused in on the COVID-19 pandemic period, 2020 and the first half of 2021 in particular. And we obviously saw a significant increase in corporate distress levels, as we all know, and defaults to go with it. So we wanted to see if there was a difference in recoveries achieved during this time. Some of the questions I asked along the way, what kind of companies defaulted during this time? How did debtors and creditors alike react to such uncertainty? And what can we learn from this once-in-a-lifetime event, hopefully only once, Minash? Yeah, hopefully only once, Kenny, but I know every cycle is a little bit different. So maybe we start a little bit with with your data set, because I, I, I read your report, you've built this amazing repository of about 350 defaults that happened over 13 years. So what exactly are you tracking? Yeah, so we track debt recoveries of S&P-rated North American companies that had defaulted and emerged from bankruptcy, So this excludes distressed exchanges and out-of-court restructurings, only companies that went into bankruptcy. And as part of this research article, Minash, we added 71 companies consisting of about $157 billion in aggregate debt. And now overall, our data set comprises of 358 companies and $655 billion in total debt. So it's not chump change, um, number one. And we also look at recoveries, not just first lien debt, but across all debt classes as well. Plus, it covers the great financial crisis and oil and gas downturn periods as well. That's great, Kenny. And, and when you track recoveries, I, I know sometimes a creditor might get a, a tranche of equity or a tranche of debt or maybe a little bit of cash. So, so how do you piece that all together to, to get actually the, you know, the actual recovery estimate? Yeah, that's a good question, Minash. Uh, there, there are obviously various forms of recovery, not just cash. And there are in reinstatements of debt. There's new debt. And obviously, there's equity as well. And, you know, we take all of that into consideration to, to, to determine our recovery. In some cases, there's no recovery, zero. So we do take that into consideration as well, Minash. So a- anyways, we look at recovery values at the point of emergence. So based on the bankruptcy documents, in particular, the valuation and the respective recoveries for the various debt classes, uh, we take that into consideration. One thing to note is post-emergence, some of these instruments could be traded in the secondary markets. We don't track prices for this project. We just look at the actual recovery assessment at the point of emergence. Great. You know, your report, it's it's packed with 11 pages of amazing charts and tables. My favorite chart really is the, the, the chart where you describe the recoveries by debt class and, and sectors. But which chart table are you most proud of and why? 
I like them all, Minesh, um, but <laughs> we don't have all that time to cover it in your podcast. So let's um, let's think of one. One that comes to mind as important to note, especially if we're looking at it from a from this point in time, you know, the the COVID pandemic period. Uh, we have a chart that shows the quarterly recoveries for 2020 and the first half of 2021. So during this time, recoveries fluctuated, and obviously, timing of bankruptcies and the uncertainties of this pandemic played a huge part in it. So we saw Q2 and Q4 of 2020. Um, see average recoveries go down to the low 50s. Yet at the same time, because of the federal stimulus measures that took effect and also the, just as important, the vaccine rollout that we saw, we saw recoveries rebound in 2021. And also don't forget, oil prices rebounded in early 2021 as well. And that had an effect given that there was a, quite a few oil and gas companies that emerged during the, this 18-month period. So you know, overall, during this 18-month period, average recoveries for first lien debt was 68%. So how does that compare to historical numbers? It's about 11 percentage points lower. Um, so that's a good chart to take a look at and, and uh, is important to compare. Another chart, just real quick, is one that shows debt structures with and also without priority debt. So I think that's a very one, a good one to look at. Uh, priority debt, meaning ABL or reserve-based uh, facilities, and that has an impact on first lien debt. Uh, what we see is over over a, uh, a long period of time, there's a 12-point difference. So take a look at that chart. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, and it's it's almost the the strangest setup coming out of um, this last default cycle, where valuations, you know, seem to be at, at all times highs, and and so it's interesting to see kind of how all that plays in, into actual lender recoveries. Specifically in your report, you talk about a couple of metrics, which interesting metrics. One is stacked recoveries and one is weighted average recoveries. Um, could you give us a little bit of insight on, on your key finding on the two metrics, please? Well, we look at recoveries based on debt class as well as by recovery ratings too. So um, you know, the way we stack recoveries this particular way is to see how much of a rank order do actual recoveries have by debt class, number one which there is a, uh, a rank order and a linear aspect to it. Also with recovery to recovery ratings as well, there's a rank order to it. So, um, you know, obviously take a look at that. With respect to weighted average recoveries, it gives us another gauge to see where recoveries are trending. I mean, it's probably good to look at um, overall recoveries to a company's overall debt and see you know, whether there's a difference there you know, essentially, if um, there's declining valuations, that'll negatively affect overall recoveries, especially if there's a heavy debt load, you know, and, um, you know, with increasing debt, you'll see that uh, number go down. So it's good to have that as well. Just to give you a little tidbit on, on where the longer term uh, range on that trend is that weighted average recoveries go from high 40s to low 50s over a 13 year period. Um, but you know, what you'll see in the more recent year and a half or so is that uh, there's some deviation in that. And a lot of that has to do with a smaller sample size when you look at it quarterly. And, uh, you know, you could have one company that could skew the number. And, and we saw that in Q2 2020 when one company in particular 
um, had a huge negative impact on weighted average. So, um, you know, I think uh, when you have a bigger sample set, it gives you better numbers. Great. Looking at the last default cycle, what did you find to be the most unique? Well, the speed of recover uh, of uh, bankruptcies. Um, you know, you see debtors and creditors quickly eking out prepacks, which meant, you know, you see bankruptcies um, that last between four and seven months. So, you know, that's pretty quick compared to the 13-year average, which is eight, eight months. Um, you know, I think given the high level of uncertainty and the pressure to get the company back on its feet as quick as you can, you see that expedited process and the whole uh, restructuring process, which a lot of it takes place before the company files. That's great. Yeah, hopefully that ended up in, in less administrative fees in, in court. Your data will prove it out. And then finally, Kenny, um, if our listeners want a complimentary copy of your report or want to talk to you about uh, the report and the information that's in there, how, how can they get in touch with you? Sure, yeah. So my article can be found on capitaliq.com or on the leverage finance page of spglobal.com. And if it's any easier, just email me at kenny.tang at spglobal.com. Nice to be on your podcast, Minash and Steve. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you, Kenny. And thanks for joining us for the show today. Now, quickly turning to Steve, what are you working on right now? What should we expect from the recovery team in the month of February? Thanks, Manish. There are two commentaries that I want to highlight. First, Hannah Zhang is wrapping up her latest U.S. Leverage Finance quarterly update, where in this version, she looks at the ability of B-minus issuers to deal with higher interest costs, given high debt leverage and the pending Federal Reserve rate hikes. She also updates our tracking of deleveraging trends, which continue to improve on both a sector basis and an issuer credit rating basis through the third quarter of 2021, with EBITDA growth here uh, continuing to offset the increase we continue to see in median debt levels. And lastly, she looks at recovery rating trends on newly issued first lien debt in the fourth quarter of last year. The other article I want to highlight is the annual update to our EBITDA addback series, where Owen Honeyman is updating uh, and highlighting the extent to which EBITDA addbacks overstate actual EBITDA levels and thus understate leverage and credit risk. He also looks at the continued expansion of addbacks and clarifies how S&P views EBITDA in our ratios and credit analysis. And lastly, we, we remind investors that EBITDA addbacks can also increase event risk because this elastic definition of EBITDA is used to size various debt baskets uh, that govern a company's ability to add debt, make restricted payments, transfer assets, and things of that nature. That's great, Steve. Thanks. And I'm looking forward to both articles. So I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listening in today. Our, in our next episode, we're going to be joined by Olin to talk about his EBITDA addback project. And also just remind everybody, if there's any questions for me or any guests or topics you would like us to explore, just uh, send me a quick note at manash.patel.spglobal.com. Thank you. Thank you.